morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here. What a blessing it is to be gathered together to worship. Um, good to see some of you have been gone and are back. Um, some we're visiting, some for the first time. Really grateful for your presence. And uh, we're, What a blessing it is to gather and, and praise God. Um, I really needed that exhortation in that song, Send the Light. Let us not grow weary in the work of love. It's been a long week uh, and a lot of really good things going on. And uh, really, I, I want to give thanks to God and to all of you who have labored uh, this week to uh, to help in a lot of different ways as we've tried to minister for the glory of God. Uh, truly, it is a blessing. It is a blessing to wear ourselves out when we are serving the Lord. Uh, and there are a lot of different ways to do that. It's not like one way to serve the Lord or one way to to honor him and glorify him. But it is a blessing to be tired uh, when we grow tired from doing God's work. But let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap. Uh, so thanks to all of you who contributed this weekend and served and to make uh, possible the good things that have gone on over the past week. Um, today, we're going to start in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be looking mostly at the prophets. Uh, and so if you're not already there, get your Bibles there, please. Um, the title of today's lesson is God of Justice and Righteousness. Uh, when I was growing up, um, I loved animals. I still love animals to this day. Uh, I don't have the time to research and study them like I used to when I was young. But one, we always had pets growing up. I grew up on a farm uh, until I was eight. And so we had cattle and pigs and all that. Uh, and then we moved off the farm. Um, one of the things my dad did was he got us rabbits to raise as pets. Um, and uh, if you don't know, rabbits can multiply very quickly. Uh, we quickly had more than 70 rabbits in our backyard at one point. And so we had to start selling them off. Rabbits are really beautiful animals. Um, however, they do some really strange things sometimes. Uh, I remember one time uh, one of the uh, female rabbits gave birth to a lot of babies. And uh, we came down to check on the babies only to find that the mother had eaten all of her babies. Um, and I found that rather shocking at the time. As I learned more about animals, I found that that's not that unusual. Uh, lions are known for, male lions are known for killing cubs. Um, you know, lots of animals. Uh, I, I heard that uh, pandas, if they have twins, will, will, will give up, will um, uh, abandon one of the twins and raise the other one. Stuff like that um, is not uncommon in the animal world. Um, you can even find videos on online of praying mantises for not just eating their children, but eating their own mates. Uh, very, very strange thing. Now, if these kinds of injustices or if these kinds of acts of unrighteousness were to occur among humans, we would find that unthinkable. That would be front page news on the New York Post or the New York Times all the time. That you, you, would, you would see that on the, uh, as front page material for newspapers. But when they happen in the animal kingdom, we don't even blink, right? It's just kind of part of it. So what is it about animals acting this way that's different from humans committing such acts of injustice and unrighteousness? There's something unique about humans. The Bible says that's because God made us in his own image. We are made in the image of God. And part of what that means is that God has put within us a sense of right and wrong. That God has created us with a sense of what is just and what is unjust. That God made us with an ability 
to determine right from wrong, good from evil, justice from injustice. So this year we've been asking the question, who is God? What is God like? And we've been reading through the Bible um, to learn more about who God is so that we can know God. Um, and I want to ask you this question as we get going here. Uh, how does a person know God? How does a person come to know God? Somebody was to ask you on the street, um, you would say, hey, uh, I want to invite you to come to know God. And person, how do you know God? What would you tell them? How would you answer that question? One of the promises of the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31 was that they will all know me, that is Yahweh, from the least of them to the greatest. But how does this happen? How does a person come to know Yahweh? Now, some people would answer that by saying, well, the way we come to know Yahweh is by having a close, personal, intimate relationship with God. And by the way, I would agree that one of the great blessings of knowing Yahweh is having a close personal relationship. with him. The Bible speaks about that often. However, if we were to ask Jeremiah, how does a person come to know Yahweh? All right. There's this great promise here in Jeremiah. They will all know Yahweh from the least of them to the greatest. How does a person come to know Yahweh? I think Jeremiah would say, I've already told you twice. In the book of Jeremiah, he's talked about what it means to know Yahweh. And in the text that our brother Cliff just read for us, two times we see what it means to know Yahweh. Look again at Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. And pay attention to what this text says. Thus says Yahweh, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh who exercises loving kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things. All right. Notice here what Yahweh is saying. How do we claim to know God? How do we know that we actually know God? Well, he, the first thing he makes clear is it's not on the basis of anything that we have. Don't boast in your wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from Yahweh. Don't boast in your strength. Where does strength come from? It comes from Yahweh. Don't boast in your wealth. Where does wealth come from? It comes from Yahweh. It, we cannot claim to know God on the basis of anything that we have. It all comes from Yahweh. And the Bible teaches that Yahweh gives not just to the just, but also to the unjust. That Yahweh gives not just to the righteous, but also to the to the unrighteous. If you don't believe that, just go outside and say and, and pay attention. Who gets the rain? It doesn't doesn't just rain on the righteous farmer's land. It rains on everyone's land, even the unjust get to experience the gift of God. So we do not, we cannot claim to know God on the basis of anything that we have. We don't boast in our wealth, we don't boast in our strength, strength, we don't boast in our wisdom. Let me, let me add to that, though. We also cannot claim to know God on the basis of anything we might say. In fact, you might recall that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It is not on the, basis of what, on the basis of what we might say. We cannot boast about being Christians and say, well, clearly I know God because I'm a Christian. 
Clearly, I know God because I go to church. Clearly, I go know God because I read the Bible. That is not the basis upon which we know God. What Jeremiah points out in this text and the next one is how we know God is based upon, not upon what we have or what we might say, but on what we do. Notice again, verse number 24. I am Yahweh who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. I delight in these things. Skip over with me to Jeremiah chapter 22. And notice what's happening here in Jeremiah 22 is Yahweh is bringing judgment upon Shalom, the son of Josiah. And the reason he's bringing judgment upon Shalom also known as Jehoahaz. I think he has some other names too. He's got a lot of names. But the reason God is bringing judgment upon this king is because he did not act like his father Josiah. Look at verse 13 again. Woe to him who builds his house without righteousness, his upper rooms without justice. That is, this is a man who has acquired power, who has acquired wealth on the backs of people unjustly and with unrighteousness who uses his neighbor's services without pay. The king who is actually working to build his palace, but not paying the people who are doing his work. Um, who says, I'll build myself a roomy house with spacious upper windows and cut out its windows, paneling it with cedar, painting it bright red. He's wealthy. He's becoming extremely wealthy. All the while, mistreating those who are working on his behalf. Do you become a king because you are competing in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? What was it that made it clear that Josiah knew Yahweh, that he had a relationship with Yahweh? Well, it was the fact that he did justice and he did righteousness. Then it was well with him, verse 15. Verse 16, he pled the cause of the afflicted and needy. And then it was well. Is not that what it means to know me? declares Yahweh. Did you hear that? Is not that what it means to know me, to do justice and righteousness, to plead the cause of the afflicted and needy? How can we claim to know God? We claim to know God by becoming like God. To know God is to share his concerns, to understand what he values, to understand what it is that he prioritizes prioritizes in this world and to take delight in all the things that please him. This is what it means to know Yahweh. Here God is telling us what he delights in. I am Yahweh who exercises kindness, loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight. I want to talk to you a little bit about justice and righteousness today. And uh, I'll add this first word, loving kindness, Faithful love, I think is how Cliff's translated it. Uh, some translations just say kindness there. That word we're skipping over today. And the reason for that is not because it's not important. It may be one of the most important words in the Bible. But we've talked a lot about God's chesed or his loving kindness this year. His faithful love. Uh, that word is an important word. Um, and it's hard to translate in English with just, just one word. Because we, and that's why you see in translations, you'll see it translated mercies or kindness or loving kindness or covenant faithfulness, um, because it speaks of God's committed faithfulness within a relationship. God is absolutely committed to a relationship with us. And therefore, he wants our absolute commitment to him. That's what 
loving kindness is all about. But the second word here to describe what God delights in back in Jeremiah chapter nine, uh, verses 22 and 23, the second word is justice. Uh, in Hebrew, this is the word mishpat, um, and it describes the act of putting things right for those who are wrong. All right, justice is the idea of making right things that are wrong. It's used all over the Old Testament, uh, and, and um, it sometimes refers to retributive, what we might call retributive justice. That is, sometimes this is justice where God is taking retribution on people who have mistreated others and who have oppressed, as in Jeremiah 22, where he talks about Shalom is going to be left in captivity because of his wickedness, because of his mistreatment of his workers and of other people who he was given the, the right to reign over. Often, though, and more often, it refers to restorative, what we'll call restorative justice. That is seeking out those who are being mistreated, those who are vulnerable, those who are in trouble, those who are being taken advantage of and helping them by taking up their cause and acting to rectify their suffering. All right. So justice, making right things that are wrong. Don't just think about punishing wrongdoers, but also the idea of helping those who are being mistreated. Um, and the third word here is righteousness. Um, in Hebrew, uh, the word is sadaka, something like that. It refers to what is right and true, the way things ought to be. Um, in relationships, this word um, refers to the idea of having right relationships with people. That is treating other people as if they are made in the image of God, treating other people as if with the dignity that every human made in the image of God deserves. And so these words are the foundation of who Yahweh is. In fact, listen to this, Psalm 33 and verse 5, for the word of Yahweh is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. Yahweh loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of his chesed, his loving kindness. Psalm 89 and verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and faithfulness go before you. One uh, Jewish rabbi said this, and I thought this was uh, absolutely true. Kindness, justice, and righteousness are heaven's part in life. This is God at work in the world because this is these are the characteristics that are intrinsic to the character of God. These, Yahweh delights in these things because they are intrinsic to who he is. He is a God full of loving kindness, full of justice and righteousness. Isaiah 5 and verse 16, but Yahweh Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the holy God will be proved holy by all his righteous acts. So what does this mean that God is just, that God is righteous? What does it mean for God to be a God of justice and righteousness? Let me suggest three things. There's more. But let me just give you three. One, he always does what is right and just. That is, there is never any wrongdoing in Yahweh our God. He never does the wrong thing. Zephaniah 3 and verse 5 says this, After God has pronounced judgment upon a city full of oppressors, Zephaniah gives us the reason why the oppressors should be afraid. Yahweh with, with her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice, and every new day he does not fail. You see that? 
Yahweh is within her and he is righteous. He doesn't do anything wrong. Every day, morning by morning, he is dispensing his justice. And every new day, he does not fail. Moses saying in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. That is, God in all of his dealings has never once been proven to be unjust, has never once been proven to be unrighteous in everything God does. He does what is right. There is no wrongdoing in him. And I want to tell you that even though we live in a world with rampant evil, rampant injustice, rampant oppression, and rampant unrighteousness, it is still true today that God is always working justice and that God is always doing what is right. Do you believe that? Amen. God is right and God is just. He always does what is right and there is no wrongdoing in him. Because God is always right and because God does no wrong, he cannot allow the guilty to go unpunished. The second thing that it means, God is just and righteous, means that he will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Yahweh is slow to anger and great in power, and Yahweh will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He's really just restating what God had already said about himself in Exodus chapter 34 to his people right after Yahweh did not allow Pharaoh and all Egypt to remain unpunished. Those who are guilty of oppression and evil and injustice and unrighteousness in Egypt. Yahweh executed justice. How? By punishing the wicked, by bringing judgment upon all those Egyptians who had done such evil, by punishing the oppressors and setting free the slaves in Egypt. In fact, Psalm 146 verse 9 says that Yahweh thwarts the wicked or he brings the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. That is the picture of who God is. Because God is righteous and just, he cannot allow wickedness to remain unpunished. He can't allow it to just keep going on and ignore it. Uh, and because of that, he's going to execute justice by bringing down those who are proud, those who exalt themselves by crushing others, by stepping on others, by taking advantage of others. Yahweh brings them down because he is just and righteous. This leads to the third thing about what does it mean that Yahweh is just and righteous? He does no wrong. He, he does not allow the guilty to remain unpunished. Thirdly, he makes right the wrongs of the world by having a special concern for the vulnerable and for the oppressed. Now, this is all over the Bible. And before I get to the scripture, I realize that even as saying that, some of you are like, what? This world is full of injustice. This world is full of people being taken advantage of. This world is full of evil. How can you say that Yahweh executes justice and, and has a special concern for the vulnerable and for the oppressed? Well, I say that because the Bible has proven and history has proven throughout, throughout history, God has shown himself to care deeply about the oppressed and the vulnerable. The greatest evidence of that is yet to come later on. But let me just share a few passages that really emphasize this idea about God. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 18 says that Yahweh executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And loves the sojourner or the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. Did you hear that about Yahweh? He executes justice for whom? 
For the fatherless and the widow, God has a special eye for those who are vulnerable, for those who are in need, for those who are oppressed. He loves the foreigner giving him food and clothing. Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. His name is Yahweh, father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Isn't that a beautiful promise? A father for the fatherless? A defender of widows? The people who are most vulnerable in this world. The people who are most vulnerable to being exploited. The people who are most easily taken advantage of. Those are the ones that Yahweh says, I got their back. I'm going to stand up for them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to be there for them. Psalm 146 and verse 7 to 9. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. And gives food to the hungry. Yahweh sets prisoners free. And he gives sight to the blind. Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He watches over the foreigner. He sustains the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. This is the God that we serve. We are not worshiping a God who, 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 who um, approves of evil who allows injustice to, to, to remain unpunished, who allows uh, oppression and oppressors to go on doing evil without bringing judgment. God is deeply concerned about the most vulnerable, those who are foreigners, those who are oppressed, those who are weak, those who are widows, those who are orphans. God cares deeply for them because that's a part of his character, what it means to be just and righteous is to make sure that all who are made in his image are treated with human dignity, that they are created in the image of God. Now, because righteousness and justice are intrinsic to the character of God, because this is a part of who God is, Yahweh delights in seeing these things in his children. And, it, and any of you that are parents can understand why, right? Whenever you see your kids, acting like you in ways that are good. I know sometimes my kids are acting like me and I'm like, man, where'd they get that from? Uh, and it's not something that I'm proud of. Uh, but, but whenever you see your kids acting in ways that are like you, in ways that are good, there's a sense of pride. There's a delight that comes from that. Look at how my child is growing up to be the way they ought to be, becoming the way I am by the grace of God. And just in the same way, so also the father desires us as his children to reflect his intrinsic character, to look like him, to learn to delight in the things that he delights in, to prioritize the things that he prioritizes, and to value the things that he values. So let's talk for a moment then about what does this look like in the life of God's people. And I want to start at the beginning and just kind of take you through briefly what we've looked at in the story of the Bible so far. So God creates man in his image, and he gives man a job, and he says, hey, you're going to reign over the earth and you're going to reign in righteousness and justice. You're going to rule over this earth and do what is right. Of course, man screws it all up. Sins and uh, unrighteousness and injustice enter the world. And not only do they enter the world, but they become pervasive in the world. You read Genesis chapter four and all of a sudden after after uh, after Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, all hell breaks loose in on the earth. There's evil. There's injustice. There's rampant oppression. There's people being murdered. There's people being killed. There's people being taken advantage of. 
and the world is not as God intended it to be. However, God had a plan, a plan that would exalt justice and righteousness again in the world. And he did this. He started this through his servant, Abraham. Do you remember this? Way back in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, Yahweh said this about Abraham. He said, I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing righteousness and justice. All right, did you catch that? What is God going to, how is God going to show the world through Abraham the right way to go? By Abraham and his descendants, his children, doing righteousness and justice so that Yahweh may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And in a world where there were Sodoms and Gomorrahs, that God was, God was bringing judgment upon because of the pervasive wickedness, Yahweh chose Abraham to create within him a family who would be a family that exalts righteousness and justice, that works to do justice and righteousness in this world. At the same time, Yahweh was bringing retributive justice. Uh, the very same chapter is the conversation between Yahweh and Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah, on which God is going to rain down punishment upon them for their wickedness. And Ezekiel tells us why. In Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49, he says, She and her daughters were arrogant. They were overfed, unconcerned, because they did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. To say that another way, Sodom and Gomorrah were full of rampant injustice and unrighteousness. It was a city that was full of the things that God hates. But here began the Bible story of God using his people to restore righteousness and justice to the world he created. And that's exactly what God intended his people to do. However, living in a world broken by sin, God's people also would experience it. We spoke already about how they were enslaved in Egypt. They were mistreated. They were oppressed by the Egyptians. And they experienced all kinds of injustice as slaves in Egypt. So God then raises up a deliverer and brings just judgment upon Egypt and redeems his people out of slavery and delivers them into rest. If only the story could have ended there. But this is the sad irony of the Bible is that God's people, after they left Egypt, began doing the very things that happened to them. But after they left Egypt, where they experienced so much injustice and oppression and unrighteousness, these redeemed people went on to do the very same things towards others and towards their own people. So God sends the prophets to declare them guilty and to call them back to righteousness and justice. Look at Ezekiel 22 with me for a moment. And notice what Ezekiel is doing. We're reading through this book together this week. Look at what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 22 about what God is up to in the world. I'm just going to read parts of this beginning in verse 25, uh, where there's a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people. They take treasures and precious things and make many widows within her. Verse 26, her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. Verse 27, her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying and divinations. They say, this is what uh, the sovereign Yahweh says when Yahweh has not even spoken. Verse 29, the people of the land practice extortion. 
commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. Ezekiel says this through the word of Yahweh. I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I wouldn't so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all that they have done, declares sovereign Yahweh. You see what Ezekiel's saying? It's because of rampant unrighteousness and rampant injustice that Yahweh is looking for somebody from his people to stand in the gap and to say, hey, this is enough is enough. We need to repent. We need to give up this wicked life that we've been living and turn back to the to the foundation of Yahweh's throne, righteousness and justice. But Yahweh found no one. Therefore, Yahweh sent his people into captivity. Captivity was a discipline, a, a, a justice being poured out upon them where God was bringing punishment upon the guilty and reminding them that we cannot be God's people if we remain unjust and unrighteous before him. Similarly, Amos, when he brings his case against Israel, he says that they trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. What, what is God's case against his people? The way they treat the poor, the way they afflict those who are needy and those who are oppressed. Therefore, he called the people to take away their worship songs. He said, God isn't even listening to your worship. Instead, let justice, you remember this passage, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. What does God want? He doesn't want our worship songs if our lives are filled with rampant unrighteousness and injustice. He wants justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream in his world. And yet even we look around today and we say, hey, doesn't look like that's the world we're living in. No, no, uh, no, no justice rolling down like waters yet. No righteousness like an ever flowing stream. So how do the people of God today live in accordance with his character? How do we do justice and righteousness in a, a world broken by sin, evil, injustice, and oppression? I want to give you uh, three things today to think about. Um, there's a lot more the Bible has to say, but we're just going to focus on three things today um, to think about how do we do justice and righteousness in this world. Number one, we follow Jesus into places where injustice and unrighteousness prevail. We follow Jesus into places where Injustice and unrighteousness prevail. Now, I realize even that might sound a little scary. Many in this world are tempted to run from places where people are broken and vulnerable and people are in trouble. But the gospel compels us not to run from them, but to run to them. Think about it this way. While some seek to avoid poor neighborhoods, Jesus left heaven to come down into ours. While some people may see people who are broken and hurting and pass by on the other side, Jesus took a beeline straight to us when we were broken and marred by our sin. 
and bound up our wounds and revived us and gave us life. Jesus did not flee from us when we were oppressed, when we were enslaved in sin. Jesus did not uh, ignore us and leave us to suffer the, the consequences of our own injustice and unrighteousness. Instead, he came to us. He redeemed us. He paid the price for us with his own life. As disciples of Jesus, we are moved by the gospel impulse and called to the places where there is poverty, where there is abuse, where there is neglect and violence and oppression. We do not run from those who are hurting, from those who are broken. We run to these people with hearts open wide to help. God's people do not flee from those who are hurting and those who are broken. Rather, we pursue them with the love of Christ. And I want to tell you, if, if you're here today, you might say, well, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a doctor. What good can I do in this world? Um, you don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to be a social worker. You don't have to be a doctor or politician to do justice and righteousness in this world. You just need to make an impact in the lives of those around you by simply loving all of your neighbors without partiality. There's work to be done in the lives of all of our neighbors, not just in certain fields to do justice and righteousness. And the question to ask is not, who are my neighbors? But rather, am I being a neighbor to those around me who are in need? We follow Jesus into places where injustice and unrighteousness prevail. Uh, secondly, we take up the cause of those who are vulnerable and those who are mistreated. We take up the cause of those who are vulnerable and those who are mistreated. Listen to this, Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up. And judge righteously or do just righteousness. There's the words. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. In Jeremiah 22 and verse 3, Yahweh says, do what is just and right or bring about justice and righteousness. How? Well, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to a foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Let me suggest to you that in the Bible, justice involves a special concern among the people of God for the poor, the orphans, the widows, and the foreigners. Those, those four groups God speaks about all throughout the scriptures again and again. Read again the, De the book of Deuteronomy, especially passages like Deuteronomy 24, where the people are called to leave the corners of their field. Why? So that the poor would be able to come and glean and eat. In God's eyes, this was not showing some sort of special favoritism to people who don't deserve it. Rather, this was a way of actually doing justice, what was right and fair, and loving one's neighbor as himself. If God gives you more than you need, what do you do with it? You share it with those who are in need. That's what it means to do justice and righteousness in the world. Deuteronomy 27 and verse 19, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. When God calls his people to repentance in Isaiah chapter 1 and in verse 17, what does he say? He tells them to seek justice, which included for him defending the oppressed, rebuking the oppressors, 
defending the fatherless and pleading for widows. This is near and dear to the heart of God, taking care of those who are in need. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because what is the whole story of the gospel? The story of the gospel is a God who needed nothing coming down to help those of us who were in desperate need of everything. And if God has, has loved us and when we were in a time when we were poor and when we were mistreated and when we were oppressed by the devil and by sin that we had committed, if God has come down to help us when we were in need, then also he desires and he delights in us doing the same for us. Jesus rebuked, rebuked the church leaders of his day for this reason, because they tithe even their whole spice cabinet to Yahweh while neglecting the weightier matters of the law. What are they? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Doing justice is not just for people who work in a courtroom. Doing justice is for every person of God who participates in his work in this world. We do this by treating people fairly, without partiality. And I want to say something here about this. I want to pause and say something. Because we're in a world right now where everybody's talking about justice for the past few years. And everybody's got a, their own idea about what justice and what righteousness should look like. But one of the things that has become a pervasive problem in this world is people that are interested in justice for some. As the people of God, we do justice without partiality. We do what is right for all. We're not just looking for justice for those who look like us or who live in our neighborhood or in our precinct. We care about evil and injustice and unrighteousness for all people in every place. And it's important for us to be an example to the world around us because what often has happened throughout history, we said this with Israel, what often has happened is that when people see injustice and they work to overcome it, they often, when they are not looking with their eyes at God, they end up inflicting other injustice. And the, and the cycle of evil and unrighteousness and injustice just continues again and again. It is our job to do justice without partiality, to show a special concern for the poor and the needy, for those who are mistreated, for those who are fatherless and those who are widows. And for this reason, that all throughout the New Testament, you say this is the Old Testament thing. Well, all throughout the New Testament, there are reminders to remember the prisoners, to care for widows and orphans in need, to treat servants like brethren, to not show favoritism based on wealth in the church of God. Because we are called to, to execute the same kind of justice and righteousness among the people of God that God himself has executed in this world. We as God's people are called to, to a religion that is pure and undefiled. And what is that? According to James, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To say it another way, to do justice and to do righteousness. This is what God wants. This is what God delights in for his people. And I want to tell you, um, I'm just speaking from experience here. Even as I say those things, things come to mind in my life that are really uh, hurtful and disappointing to me. Not just about injustices and evils that other people have done, but things that I've been a part of. Uh, I can think about foreigners who came from uh, France to the United States when I was in high school. Who I mistreated and I joined in making fun of because they were different uh, than I was. I can think about times where people have done evil things and said evil things, and I didn't stand up against it. One of my greatest regrets about the two years I spent in Alabama, on the first day of the job, I was told by one of the people in the superintendent's office, 
Um, but these kids don't want to learn. They're not interested in learning. You're really just a babysitter. And to this day, I regret that I never went back to that woman and told her how wrong she was and how evil it was for her to think that and to say that about those children. Probably all of us can look back at times where we've been unjust or unrighteous and we fail to be exactly what God has called us to be. And that's why this last point is so important. Um, if we're truly going to do justice and righteousness in the world, we must point people towards the only one who is truly just and righteous. Every one of us is guilty of unrighteousness. Every one of us has participated, whether we realize, in it, realize it or not, in some sort of rampant injustice and unrighteousness in our world. We have all become at some point and at some time oppressors, people taking advantage of those who are vulnerable. The scripture says there are none righteous, not even one. And while God calls us to join him in the work of doing justice and righteousness in this world, in helping the world to be restored to what he originally designed it to be, the truth is that without Jesus, our work for justice and righteousness is all in vain. Only Jesus can truly set right all the things that are wrong. Only Jesus can cleanse me from all of my injustice and all of my unrighteousness that I have committed. Only Jesus can clothe me with righteousness and justice and help me to become someone who works in a way that glorifies God and truly represents his character. He is the just one. He is, the Bible says again and again, the righteous one. Only Jesus never did anything that was wrong. Only Jesus did what was just and righteous all of his days and never failed. Only Jesus, every time, spoke out against oppression and against injustice. He was not afraid to call the rulers a fox when they were doing what was evil. He was not afraid to sharply rebuke the most powerful religious people of his day for their lack of concern for justice and righteousness and the weightier matters of the law. And in spite of all the righteousness and justice that he did, can you believe this? No one in this world has ever experienced a greater injustice than what Jesus experienced on the cross. If you were Jesus, would you come down from heaven to earth to do justice and righteousness for your entire life only to experience the greatest injustice known to man? Would you live like that? Why did he do it? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Here is the great blessing of being a Christian, that though we have failed to, to execute righteousness and justice in this world, Yahweh sent Jesus down and took us who were sin. And, and took our sins upon himself so that he might make us righteous and just again in his sight. So that he might make us into renewed into his own image again. So that he might use us to work for justice and righteousness in this world. How did he do it? Would you be willing to do that? The text says in Second in First Peter, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
That is, Jesus knew that this was the only way that God in his chesed, his crazy loving kindness towards us, could also be just and righteous. How could God be just and also justify lots of ungodly people? It's not right for a, in a courtroom for, for, for a judge to stand up and let, let uh, sin off the hook, let unrighteousness go without punishment. How could God punish all sin and all injustice and all evil and all oppression and all unrighteousness and yet also allow us to become part of his family? The only way was for Jesus the truly just and righteous one to suffer and shed his blood so that we might be made just and made right in his sight. And we're together today to praise God for what he's done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want to tell you that the greatest way to honor Jesus as our Lord, who has saved us from all the wickedness that we've committed and all of our unrighteous and unjust acts, the greatest way to honor that is by choosing to become like him, working for justice and righteousness in this world. We don't do justice and righteousness in this world because we think that somehow by doing that, we're going to merit salvation. We do justice and righteousness in this world because that is who our God is. Our God is just and righteous, and he delights in justice and righteousness as well. One day God is going to set the world right. And I long for that day. We don't do justice and righteousness thinking that somehow by our own power, or our own strength or our own wisdom, we're going to fix it all in this world right now. No, the world's been unjust before we got here. And if the Lord doesn't return first, the Lord, the world will be unjust after we leave. But Yahweh invites us to participate with him in that work. And through the blood of Jesus, by his cleansing, we are righteous in the sight of God. Therefore, we ought to join him and participate in the work of doing justice and righteousness in this world. If we're going to do that, the best way to do that is by pointing others to him. Only he can save them, just like he saved us from our unrighteousness. Only he can teach us how to do biblical justice and righteousness in this world in a way that truly brings good to those who are hurting. And so we gather here to worship Yahweh, the God enthroned on justice and righteousness, the God who delights in justice and righteousness. And even though we live in a world with rampant injustice and unrighteousness, we continue to work in hope that one day God will restore our world to a place where justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let us pray. Oh God, you are the just one. You are the righteous one. There is no other God besides you. There is no one else in this world who always does what is right, who is, who is, uh, who is right and just to punish the guilty fairly, who is uh, able to to maintain the cause of every oppressed and every hurting and vulnerable person in this world. Truly, God, you alone are the, uh, are, the, are the God above all gods, the God of justice and righteousness. And we are sorry, Father, for the times in which we failed to execute justice and righteousness in this world. We're so sorry, Father, for the times at which we have uh, not been the people you have called us to be. We have not loved the foreigners and the poor and the needy 
and maintain the cause of those who are afflicted and those who are mistreated. But we pray, O oh God, that by your grace, you would cleanse us from all sin, that you would move us as your people to work for justice and righteousness in this world, for your glory and for your name's sake, because you are just and you are righteous. Help us, O oh God, to be a community. Help us in this church, Lord, to be a community where, where righteousness and justice is exalted. Help us to maintain the cause of those among us who are in need. Help us to work in this world to bring more and more of the vulnerable and the hurting and the broken, those who've been marred by sin and oppressed by the devil, to bring them into your family where they can experience peace and joy and loving kindness and righteousness and justice as you desire. I pray, God, you'll help us toward that end. Help us to deal with the injustice and unrighteousness in our own hearts and to repent of it diligently so that we can be a place where people can find refuge in this world as we long for the day and we look for the day when you will return to restore this world to what it ought to be. We long for you, God, and we look forward to your return. May you help us to be faithful to you until that day, a people doing righteousness and justice in this world. In Jesus we pray. Amen.